Hey there, Hope and Help podcast listeners, Christine here, and I wanted to take a minute before today's podcast episode to invite you to partner with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship during our end-of-year giving campaign. For the entire month of December, IBCD is asking our supporters, subscribers, and listeners like you to join us as we seek to strengthen the local church in one another care. By making a donation of any amount today, you make it possible for us to produce free resources like this podcast, which reaches a growing global audience. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a one-time or recurring donation to our ministry? Visit ibcd.org forward slash donate to help us reach our fundraising goal before the new year comes. Thank you so much for your ongoing support and patronage. Now let's get on with the show. Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Paul Touches about the topic of Christian identity and his new book, Remade, Embracing Your Complete Identity in Christ. For more help on today's topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Paul Touches is a pastor, biblical counselor, and author of many books on topics related to Christian living, pastoral ministry, parenting, and counseling, including anxiety, knowing God's peace. Paul is married to Karen, and together they cherish their 10 children and growing tribe of grandchildren. Paul also blogs frequently at counselingoneanother.com. Hey there, Paul. Welcome back to the Hope and Help podcast. I'm so thankful to be able to speak with you today on the topic of your brand new book, Remade. Hey, it's great to be with you again, Christine. It's always a joy. I really was so excited to have the opportunity to preview and endorse this book, and I honestly can't say enough good things about it. And so I love the fact that you help us to, as readers, really dive into the different areas of our identity in Christ in this resource and how that applies to our everyday lives and informs the way that we navigate life's challenging problems. And so I wonder if you could tell us why you wanted to write a resource on this topic. Yeah, I think it's just been something that's been growing in my heart for probably over 30 years, actually, as I've thought about the idea of who we are in Christ and how that changes everything. You know, how I once was dead to God. I was alive in my sin before I was saved. And when God saved me, he made me a new creature and everything is changing from the inside out. And for me personally, as I think about my own growth in Christ, so often how I respond to suffering, and even how I deal with my sin struggles is impacted. Both of those things are impacted by who I see God to be, and specifically who I see Christ to be. And then to make that connection between, okay, this is who Christ is, 
This is who I am in Christ, and therefore this is the new way to deal with my sin. This is the new way to respond to my suffering. So for me personally, but then also just in over 30 years of pastoral ministry, I have found that my overriding passion really is to help believers be rooted and built up in Christ. And so that's kind of the the passion and the heart behind this. And the Lord in his own timing, you know, just brought it all together. Well, at the start of the book, you offer readers a triple lens through which to view their identity in Christ. That triple lens language is your term that you kind of unpack and we'll talk about here uh, in this conversation. But you write that you aim to help readers look through all three lenses at your identity to help you take a biblical selfie, I love that, so that your heart soars in the joyful worship of the Savior in whose image you are being remade. And so, I, again, I really love the fact that you help us to think more thoughtfully and deeply about different aspects of our Christian identity. And so can you briefly explain what this triple lens consists of? Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not original with me. It's been around for a while. I'm not sure it's even original with Mike Emlett, who kind of has popularized the concept within the biblical counseling world, first with his book, Crosstalk a number of years ago, at least a decade ago, and then more recent book, Saints, Sinners, and Suffers. Actually, I, I talked to Mike before I was developing the concept of this book, and he enthusiastically encouraged me to go for it. So I was excited about that. But that the idea of understanding that we are simultaneously saints in Christ, that is, we are called by God for God, we are set apart by God in Christ, at the moment of salvation, but that we're saints who still struggle with sin, but that we're also living in a world that's filled with suffering. And so as I have thought just about my own Christian life, those three lenses have helped me. But then also in counseling ministry or in pastoral ministry, thinking that through has been helpful to others. And so I I felt like there are some books on those three lenses in the Christian world But from my perspective, I couldn't see that any of them were for the average believer. They were for the pastor. They were for the counselor. And I thought, you know, the average believer really needs to understand this. And they would be so helped in the process of sanctification if they were to understand that first and foremost, in Christ, they are saints. Um, That is, to be in Christ means to be set apart by God, for God. That's our new standing. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And that changes absolutely everything. And so even, you know, like on a camera that has three different lenses, one of them is bigger than the other two. That's the biggest lens. The saint lens is the biggest lens. And so now we look at ourselves, we look at our sin no longer through Um, what we were, but now what we are. So we're looking at our sin struggles through the lens of we are a saint in Christ. And then our suffering, we're looking at that through what is now God's new purpose for the suffering that we experience, given this big lens that we are called by God for God, we're set apart in Christ And now God's purpose, even for suffering, is impacted by this big goal, which is to be remade into the image of Christ. So when it comes to our sin struggles, you know, this impacts 
how we view and even approach the process of sanctification and overcoming the, the sin struggles that we have. Because if we still think of ourselves primarily as sinners rather than primarily as saints, then we can easily fall into kind of a mindset of, of victimhood. I can't help it. This is just who I am. And yet when we look at our sin through the biggest lens of, no, I am a new creature in Christ. I am being remade. Yes, there is this continued struggle with indwelling sin, but Christ has already secured the victory. That totally changes how I'm going to seek to overcome the sin struggles that I have. Well, we're definitely going to be diving more into these particular lenses that you offer. But before we do, you know, I love the fact that you even just said, you know, we need we need something for the everyday believer, right? There's sometimes yeah. these conversations can get very heady and we have a really hard time, you know, hitting the ground with just everyday application to what these very big realities mean for everyday life as believers in Christ. And so I'd like for us to maybe think maybe from just a, a worldly or secular perspective, because identity is a buzzword. You know, we hear a lot of conversations in the cultural realms about identity and where we get our identity. And I'd love for you maybe to help us even think, you know, what is a common understanding of a person's identity from a secular worldview? And how does that differ from what we're seeing the scriptures teach us? Yeah, I would say the simplest and easiest difference for us to think about is that the secular world says that we create or invent our own identity. And frankly, that is simply too heavy of a weight to place upon any human being. Because biblically, we understand identity is not self-created. Identity is given to us. So that would be the biggest distinction. That, that first of all, our identity begins as creatures. We are created by God in a fearful and wonderful way. And he has a glorious purpose for our lives. But then when we get saved, when we come to know the Lord Jesus and we experience you know, the transformation of conversion, then our identity becomes rooted um, not merely in God as our creator, but secondly, Christ as our redeemer. And so we have that twofold identity in the sense of created by God, redeemed by the Son. And so that changes everything, but those are given to us. We don't create our own identity. We don't invent our own identity. And like I said before, to tell a human being that they determine their identity is simply to place upon them a weight that is greater and heavier than we were even designed by God to carry. You know, when I think of identity, I, I cannot help but remember the book of Exodus and go back in my mind to think about when God called Moses to be his servant. Moses asked two questions. Who are you, God, and who am I? And I think we spend our whole lives really answering those two questions. Who are you, God, and, and who am I? Well, in Christ, the answer to the one question answers the second question. So the answer to the first question, who am I or who are you, God? Understanding who God is and who Christ is, then as a believer answers the second question, who am I? Who am I? I am fearfully and wonderfully created by this good God. And this good God so loved me that he sent his son to redeem me 
and now I am in him and I am in Christ. That's my new identity. The phrase that comes to mind after you kind of offering us that recap is, how then am I to live? Right. In light of who God is, in light of who I am, how then am I to live? Thank you also for helping us think of this a little bit more broadly about the the concept of identity and the reality that we don't have the authority to assign ourselves Mm -hmm. an identity. I think that's something that we as humans struggle with. Well, I think we also struggle with recognizing that it's very good of God to not give us the authority to create our own identity because the world says, oh, you know, don't listen to what God says because, you know, he's holding back something from you. It's, it's the same lie that Satan used in the garden, but it's just got a new angle to it. If God were really good, then he would let you create your own identity. He would let you reinvent yourself. Well, that's, that's a lie. That's a trap. The greatest joy is found in recognizing that God has been very good to say, this is who you are, you know, in creation. And then in salvation, this is now who you are in Christ. And now by the indwelling spirit, I'm going to help you to live that out in the practical nitty gritty of life. I often think of the different labels that we collect as we go through life, the different sorrows that we go through, which end up giving us labels, you know, such as divorced or disabled or uh, disordered. You know, there's so many different labels that we come across in our life as we go and walk the path God's put before us. But I think for me, the biggest turning points that I can see even in my life as a believer were the times when God really helped me to perceive and interpret my world through, first and foremost, that lens of saint. Because the temptation was always to see my world and what's going on around me and in me through the lens of whatever labels I had collected. Again, I really am thankful for how you help us to dive into these three lenses. Even your section subheadings help us to better understand the relevance of each particular aspect of our Christian identity. Can you offer an explanation? We're going to go through, I'm going to ask you about all three subheadings, but I'm not going to do it all at once because I don't want to overwhelm you. (laughs) So we'll take one at a time. But the subheading for saint, you write as practicing your position in Christ. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, I mean, that's really the apostolic pattern in the letters, in the New Testament letters written by the apostles. Four just really quick examples come to my mind. Ephesians, Colossians, Romans. Let's just take those three. Those lay this pattern. Okay, so in Ephesians, three chapters, this is your position. Chapters four, five, six of Ephesians, this is now what your practice should be. Paul does the same thing in Colossians. Two chapters, position, the rest of the book, practice. Romans 11 chapters, this is who you are. This is your new standing before God in Christ. And now the rest of the book, he says, this is how I'm going to show you how to put that into practice. So that's in a sense what I'm trying to do in this book is just really steal from the apostles (laughs) in the (laughs) sense of saying, you know, this is who you are in Christ. Um, And now the challenge for the rest of your life is to put into practice who you already are. That's so good. And Paul, you're not stealing, you're imitating. Okay. So, oh, I like that yeah, yeah, we're yeah. imitating. I'm taking Paul's word there. He says, yeah. imitate me okay. as I well, imitate Christ. I, I don't know if that's an exact that's what he says. That's a great compliment. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so you could have be guilt-free in that. 
And so the second subheading is in regards to the sinner lens. And you say you are helping us to rest in our provision in Christ. So what do you mean by that? So I think that, like you had mentioned earlier, I think sometimes, uh, often probably, in our struggles with sin, we tend to let our sin become our identity. And then we fall into a a state of of victimhood. You know, I just can't help it. I was born this way, or I got this from my parents, or I, you know, my circumstances made me like this. But when we understand that we have received everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ, we are uh, a new creature in him. Yes, we do struggle still with sin, but the ultimate victory has already been won. The battle's already been won by Christ. There are a lot of skirmishes still to be fought against the world, the flesh, and the devil, but the victory is already ours. And our hearts have already been fully cleansed by the Lord in in forgiveness. And so reminding ourselves of that and to recognize that what God is up to now by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is He is changing the desires of our heart, the way that we think, and the way our wills have been trained to respond uh, over the years. So God's up to something good in and even even in our sin struggles, that we are becoming more like Christ. Even what you were just saying made me think of Romans 7, where in verse 24, Paul and 25, actually, Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he's just talking about how wretched he is in response to that flesh and spirit struggle that is still present in the life of a believer. Or even though he acknowledges the fact that he is wretched, that he does still struggle with sin and he hates that struggle. But he says, so who will deliver me from this body of death? He doesn't lament and pretend like there's no provision in Christ. Right. He says, thanks be to God through Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we see Paul, the apostle, you know, acknowledging that reality and that struggle, but not having that become an occasion to self-condemnation and despair. And as if he hasn't been sent a savior, but to actually press him toward worship in the provision in Christ that God has given to Mm. us. Amen. And so the last subheading that you have in this book is for the lens of sufferer. And for that, you say the main theme of that section is to help people to submit to your purification in Christ. Someone might hear that and say, what does that mean? And so can you explain what you're trying to get with with that point? Yeah, I essentially start that section with helping us to understand that uh, as a believer now, God has a purifying purpose in our suffering. And so our suffering, whether it's something we simply experience because we live in a broken world, or whether it's we're suffering the consequences of our own sin, or if it's suffering the pain that others have brought into our lives, we understand that, okay, now all of this falls under the umbrella of sanctification. So God wants us then to learn how to submit to that suffering, to walk through it with faithfulness and perseverance and endurance and with hope, knowing that this purifying furnace, so to speak, the purifying furnace of suffering is being used by God to accomplish his big purpose 
which is his big purpose is to remake us into the image of Christ. And so there's still a lot of sanctification that I need to experience. And so I need to learn to humbly submit to the suffering that God brings into my life, or if even providentially that I bring into my own life, that God can still redeem. I guess that's the point of that section is God can redeem and will redeem all of our suffering when we look to him and understand that it's being used by him to make us more like Jesus. And we see that in 1 Peter 4.19, where he talks about suffering as Christians, and he says that, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing mm. good. For this particular interview, I am doing something a little bit different. I invited friends to help me to choose the questions that we were going to be asking you today, because all throughout the book, you help readers to apply these lenses to different aspects of their Christian living and the challenges they may be facing. And so this first question is actually from my mom, Diane. And so, hi, mom, if you're listening, I sent her uh, the section, the saint section. So you have all of these sections have a number of days or uh, devotions or meditations in them. And so I said, hey, mom, go ahead and pick from the saint section, which one you would love to hear Paul talk about in this podcast interview. And so for the saint section, she selected what it means to be born again to a living hope. Mm. And so you talk about this on devotional number 17. Can you help us to better understand what it means to be born again to a living hope and what difference that actually makes to our everyday struggles? Yeah. So what a glorious truth, you know, that is that we once were dead in our, our trespasses and sins, as uh, Ephesians 2, 1 says, and yet the mercy of God is so great that the Holy Spirit broke into our world, um, our personal world of deadness, and made us alive together with Christ. He did that through the gospel. That's Romans ten seventeen. But you see this even in Jesus' teaching in John 3, that we are born again by the Holy Spirit using the gospel to breathe new life into our souls. So this is what it means to be born again. It's the second birth. It's the difference between being religious and having a living relationship with God uh, through faith in Christ. But how that helps us in our struggles with sin and in our response to suffering is it causes us to look to the future as you know, you already said, as, as Peter says in First Peter, you know, one three, we are born again to a living hope. That living hope is yet to be fulfilled. It was brought about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it won't be fully experienced by us until he returns. And so when I'm struggling with sin, I can look to the fact that, hey, I'm a new creature in Christ. I have a living hope. And one day I will be like Jesus fully when I see him face to face. And then it helps me in my suffering because it forces me to take my eyes off of everything that's horizontal in my life and off the pain, the reality of the pain, the reality of the suffering, the reality of the grief. I mean, all of that is very real and we feel that. But if that's where we stay, we're going to get stuck. And so understanding that we are born again to a living hope forces us to turn our eyes from the horizontal to the vertical to look to God and recognize, okay, Lord, this is temporary. There's a day coming when Jesus will wipe away every tear 
And that's what I'm going to look to today. That's so good. Thank you for helping us to apply that. And thank you, Mom, for asking to hear Paul talk a bit more about that. I definitely. Yeah, thanks, Mom. (laughs) Well, speaking of, you know, help that I've had with today's interview, we both published books this year from P&R Publishing. And so our books are kind of like brother and sister. And uh, and so we both had the great joy of working with Terry Ferguson from P&R Publishing in the launches of those particular books. And so I couldn't help but ask Terry to find out, hey, Terry, from the center section of Paul's book, what would be something that you would really love to hear Paul apply this triple lens to. And so she picked the devotional that is number 45 in the center section of the book, where you talk about love grows in the soil of forgiveness. And I have to be honest, when I saw that she picked that one, boy, I was challenged just from her selection. And I think maybe some of our listeners can relate to that. And so for this particular day, you guide the reader to Luke 46 and 47 and Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And you help us to think about the temptation for our hearts to grow bitter or calloused as a result of an unwillingness to forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven in Christ. And this was a a statement you wrote on that day that really challenged me. You write, quote, knowing who you are in Christ should propel your heart toward, not away from, the people who hurt you. And so those can be hard words to swallow sometimes, Paul. And I know, like I said, they were for me when I read them. How does resting in our provision in Christ help us to cultivate the soil of forgiveness in our lives? Well, I think we have to go back to that first lens, you know, first of all, that is that in Christ, we are reconciled to God and God is the one who did that. God is the one who took the initiative to cause us to be reconciled to him. That alone should plant a thought in our minds. We're also in Christ fully forgiven. We have been wiped clean. Our sins have been tossed into the ocean. They're they're at the bottom of the ocean. They're far as the east is from the west. God has chosen not to remember them against us. It's not because God has memory loss. It's because God chooses not to hold them against us. That's what it means when it says he remembers our sins no more. Now, Psalm 103 is is great in, in helping us to understand that. That's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice to not remember that sin against us any longer. And so when we are sinned against, all of that comes into play. We have to think, wait a second now, God has forgiven me more than he is even asking me to forgive this person for. To recognize that first, I'm a forgiven sinner, and therefore I must approach the people in my life who hurt me from that standpoint, I am a forgiven sinner. I have been reconciled to God by God, by his grace. And therefore, when I have relational conflicts and I sin in those relational conflicts, then I need to, as a forgiven sinner who has the Holy Spirit within me, I need to take the initiative to be reconciled with whoever that is. And I need to ask for their forgiveness. Whether or not they forgive me, that is a decision that they have to make before God. And hopefully if if they claim to be a believer, then they will be acting upon the same truth that I'm trying to act upon in my own life. 
And so to recognize, you know, how much I have been forgiven, you know, that that's what Jesus is really teaching. And, you know, in Luke seven, where there is this woman who in the, in the eyes of the disciples, you know, just wastes this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume on the feet of the Lord Jesus. And they're like, what is wrong with this woman? You know, that she's wasting all of this perfume. And Jesus says to us that her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And, and so the whole point there is we have to remember through that saint lens how much we have been forgiven. And that then will motivate us to move toward people who hurt us rather than run away from them. Because that's what God did for us in Christ. He moved toward us. For the last lens, we had help from our friend, Shannon McCoy, who we just love and have worked with over the years. And so she, for the sufferer section, I don't think she did you any favors. I think she picked one of the, the hardest, <laughs> yes, the hardest did. days, Okay, <laughs> the hardest days. Uh, on day 72, the devotion is entitled, When Suffering is Your Fault. And I want to preface that by saying the day before you talk about when suffering isn't our fault. So this is not a statement saying all suffering is your fault, but we do want to explore right. the situations and where the suffering that we are going through is the result of our choices or our actions. And so for that day, you take us to Lamentations 122, which reads, you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. So obviously... This is a really difficult reality to process <clears throat> as is. a believer. And you write that quote, when we realize what we've done, repent and confess our foolishness to God, we may be tempted to wonder if he has really forgiven us. If God has forgiven me, why am I still suffering the consequences? So Paul, what does the lens of sufferer, sinner, saint have to do with submitting to our purification in Christ in painful situations like this? Well, I, you know, I think that first of all, just, just to acknowledge that part of our sin nature is that we are quick to shift the blame somewhere else. Adam did it, Eve, Eve did it, you know. <laughs> And uh, it's part of the sin nature. And so when we do suffer, our knee-jerk response tends to be we, we shift the blame somewhere else as far as what has caused this trouble. And we live in a broken world, and so there is a lot of that. And we're sinners living among sinners. You know, we're even, as believers, we're saints who still struggle with sin, living with saints who still struggle with sin. And so there is going to be that sense of there's something going on here and it's not my fault. That's, that's our knee-jerk response. But there are times that in the mercy of God, and I say it that way on purpose, obviously, but in the mercy of God, God lets us continue to experience the painful consequences of our foolish choices because it's part of what he uses to produce humility in us, to remake us into the image of Christ. Again, we're looking at this through that big lens of who we are in Christ. Well, God is sanctifying us. He's making us more holy, making us more like Jesus. And so Jesus, of course, he never sinned. So he never had to humble himself 
because of sinning, he chose to humble himself in order to save us. But there are times in which we have to live with the consequences of our sin. And I think that one of the dangers is when we see that in our lives, we can get stuck in regret and forget that in Christ, we have been made new, we are forgiven, and that even the stupid things we've done, you know, in our past or even in our present can be redeemed by God if we humbly come to him and acknowledge that and confess our sin to him. And here's where the book of Lamentations, I believe, is one of those neglected books in the Bible, but it's so incredibly helpful to us. You know, Jerusalem has been destroyed. We can imagine that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, you know, he's sitting up on a hillside. He's looking down on the city and the city is just in flames. There's smoke. There's just destruction everywhere. And yet, where does the Holy Spirit take him? He takes him to remember the mercies of God, which are new every morning. And that's where I think we need to go rather than living in regret over the past and getting stuck there in a, in a sense, giving territory to the devil, giving room for the devil to continue to accuse, to continue to accuse, um, you know, Paul, you'll, you deserve this. You brought it on yourself. You know, how can you expect any better? And to recognize, yeah, yeah, you're right, Satan. You know, I'm not, obviously I'm not advocating talking to Satan, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying <laughs> no, in I my mind, I'm saying, you know, yeah, you're right. I give the devil enough ammunition every day to accuse me, okay? But when he does that, and when I accuse myself, I need to go back to those gospel truths you know, that we spend the first 30 chapters thinking about. Who am I in Christ? I'm a new creature. I'm loved by God. I'm adopted into his family. I have been fully forgiven by him. And he is going to use, he's determined to use everything bad in my life to work toward his ultimate good, which is to remake this sinner, Paul Touches, who is now a saint in Christ, to become progressively more and more like the Savior in whose image I am being remade. I appreciate you helping us to think through that, because again, that is a really difficult reality to process. And even as you were talking, I was thinking back to a time in my own life where things were coming to light that I had done and I was feeling ashamed about it. The Lord really helped me to understand in that situation. I think what the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 12, where in verse five, he's talking about that sin struggle. And he says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And here's the exhortation. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And just that concept of knowing that the discomfort I was feeling in my soul, the grief that in Lamentations that uh, the writer was talking about, uh, that heaviness of heart. It wasn't meant to break me, but to build me up mm. in Christ, you know? And yes. so to understand that really helped free me in that situation to move forward and say, okay, well, this is where we're at and God wants me to learn. Yeah. And as that passage goes on, you know, it says that the purpose of God 
in that discipline is to train us in righteousness. And it actually flows from his love. And that's another thing I try to make clear in the book, because I think that this is a struggle for believers, is to understand the difference between punishment and discipline. That if we really understand who we are in Christ as a saint, well, then we know that all of our sins have already been punished by God in Christ. And so the pain that I am experiencing in the context of what we're talking about is not God punishing me for what I did. No, Jesus was already punished for that. This is God disciplining me, training me to understand how I got to where I am so that I deal with the issues that are in my own heart, but then also become trained by God to not repeat those things in the future, that I be trained in this new path of righteousness. And that's really where I feel like hope comes in, you know, because if if we don't have the right lens on, we are turned inward to self-pity, self-condemnation, despair in these situations. But to be able to look through those lenses that you are describing and and see more accurately the living hope that we have been born again to um, helps us to have that courageous dependence to take the next step in obedience, uh, whatever that might look like for our situation. Well, Paul, we've got time for a couple more questions. And so I want to bring the conversation for a minute back to the local church. We are the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, and we love to equip the local church in one another care. And so I wonder if you might help us think about the role that the local church plays in helping individuals to better understand and embrace their complete identity in Christ. Yeah, it's a key role. In fact, it's part of God's brilliant design for our sanctification is that we are not sanctified by God in Christ in isolation. Uh, Yes, we do have our alone times. You know, we have our quiet time. We have our, our ways that we build into our own lives through the word of God that we might become more like Christ. But God never designed us to grow, to become like Christ in isolation from others. And so the local church is absolutely key. We need each other. We need each other to help each other to grow in Christ, to become more of what God wants us to be. So it's it's interesting you ask that question because since the book came out, I have gotten comments that I never expected to get. Two in particular, yeah, one was a pastor in Wisconsin who said, you know, Paul, thank you for writing this. It's the best thing on on Christian identity I've ever read. And it would be a great discipleship tool for brand new believers. And I'm like, wow, yeah, thanks for saying that. Because in a sense, I can see how that was working in my mind, but I wasn't even conscious of it. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to put in one book, you know, <laughs> obviously you can't put in one book everything you want to say, you know, to a believer. But it was like, how do I boil down you know, the things that the Lord has been teaching me for now, it'll be 40 years next month, excuse me, next year that I came to know Christ. So how has he been growing me and what are the key biblical truths and concepts that have been instrumental in in my own growth? And then I heard at one of the counseling conferences this fall, the manager of the, of the bookstore said, hey, I want you to, to know that a pastor just ordered enough copies of your book for everyone in their church because they're going to take every small group through your book because they see (laughs) how essential it is that we understand who we are in Christ. 
And even as I think about, again, not just my own growth, but even in counseling ministry, you can boil down every issue, whatever it is, that you're helping another person to work through. You can boil that down to there needs to be a renewed understanding of who God is and who you are. Again, there's just so much that is connected to the issue of identity. And that even in the providence of God, you know, you can see how God is even using all the identity talk in the secular world to drive the church back to thinking about this because it's so critical. It is so crucial to our own growth. And even in the, the, the layout of the book is designed such that hopefully people are not just going to read it alone, though I think that will be beneficial, but even just to do it with, a, with another believer, work through it, meet together, you know, every five chapters and talk it, talk it through and, and help each other. That, that's how we grow in Christ. Paul, we are at the end of our time, and you are a pro of the Hope and Help podcast. You have been on uh, a number of times, and so you know exactly what we're about to do. I'm going to invite you to do something I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be a listener who is feeling like they're struggling to embrace their complete identity in Christ. What would you say to this person to encourage them with the hope and help of the gospel? Well, friend, you need to do what I constantly have to do, and that is I need to constantly renew my mind and to think about who I really am in Christ. I need to let the truth of God's word be the authority over how I feel from day to day or even uh, in the ways that I might be condemning myself or the devil might be accusing me. And so I encourage you, get into the habit of getting into God's word and letting God's word renew the way that you think and concentrate on those specific ways in which God says, this is who you were before you knew Christ. This is who you are now. And who you are now is where you need to be living and thinking. It's really essentially what Paul says, you know, in in Philippians 3, you know, where he says he's not going to focus on the past. He's going to focus on the future, who I'm going to become, who I am becoming, you know, in Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to empower me today to live for him. So I would say to you, friend, if you know Jesus Christ, as your Savior and your Lord, then according to Scripture, you are already complete in Him. And now you need to understand what that means so that you can live it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for those words of encouragement. Listener, if you are interested in learning more about Remade, Embracing Your Complete Identity in Christ, you can scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all of that information and get connected with Paul and his ministry. Well, Paul, thanks again for taking time out of the, the holiday schedule to chat about this fantastic resource. I can't recommend it more highly. I hope everyone who's listening gets themselves and a friend a copy. And uh, just I'm really thankful for the wisdom that you shared with us today. Well, thanks so much for the encouragement and the opportunity, Christine. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. 
if you enjoyed this conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for joining us for today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.